As Christians, we believe the point of life is two things. Love God and love others. Does that mean love yourself? To a degree, yeah. But you have to be willing if you want to experience true, unconditional, sacrificial love from another human being, which let's be honest, who doesn't want to experience that? You have to be willing to put yourself aside. What's up, guys? Happy Tuesday. Isabel here, and I'm so excited to be jumping into a new episode of Outdated with you guys on a really important subject. It may sound a little bit academic today, so I want you to bear with me all the way through until the end, because I think this is something that is so deeply important to relationship culture in America, but it's never something we spend a significant time talking about, mainly because it's so extremely countercultural to our United States culture in the 2020s. And that is replacing this self-obsessed, narcissistic, me, me, me culture we live in with true sacrificial love and why that is the key to finding lasting joy and fulfillment in our relationships moving forward. Before we jump in, I wanted to give you a very quick sneak peek into what's coming. Starting next week, we are going to have guests every once in a while here on the show. And so I wanna make sure you guys are ready for those guests because we have some pretty awesome big surprises lined up to share with you to kick off the show here in the first couple episodes. This is already a month in. This is our fourth episode of the series, and I'm so excited to see the growth, how many people are tuning in every week, but the best is yet to come. So these guests that are coming, I'm just so excited to share with you guys, and I want you to let me know if there's anyone you really want to see here on Outdated as we kick things off pretty quick into the start of the series moving forward. So drop it in the comments or send me a DM on Instagram or an email through my website if you have any suggestions at all for potential guests for Outdated because we wanna make sure that all of your guys' suggestions are taken into account. In addition, we are starting to collect some sponsorships for the series. So if you are a company or a small business that would be interested in sponsoring Outdated, please reach out to me directly. You can find my email address in the caption of this video or this podcast uh, to make sure that you can reach out to me about any potential sponsorship opportunities. We would love to feature you as a sponsor. Okay, that's all of our housekeeping. So let's put that aside and jump right in because this topic is so, so important to lay the foundation for everything we're gonna talk about in the next couple of weeks without dated. I said it before, but I really want to hammer this point home as the takeaway message for what you need to remember from this episode. Our culture in the United States and what we're experiencing on a day-by-day -day basis in the 2020s in the Western world is a self-obsessed culture. We're putting ourselves before others at all costs, at the costs of our dating relationship, at the costs of our marriages, at the costs of even our friendships, because that is what we are encouraged to do on a day-by-day -day basis. And I argue that unless we replace that self-obsessed culture with true sacrificial love for one another, with laying down our own needs and desires uh, and sins at the hands and feet of the people that we love, we will never feel lasting joy and fulfillment, especially in our dating relationships and our marriages. But this started 
even before relationships, before dating, before marriage was all impacted by this, this started with culture in general and the idea that the United States is a narcissistic nation. And we'll jump into that in a second, but it's in both little and big things. And I want to characterize what that looks for you before we start looking at the data. This started with little things like selfies and constantly having something pointed at you, projecting your image into the world through social media, or even just abundant self-care and self-love articles in magazines that even if you have a responsibility to your community, to your calling, to your family, your marriage, or your friends, you should always worry about your needs and desires above all else that you should go home take a hot bubble bath and read a book while drinking a glass of rose in the bath and yes that's nice that's something that you should always keep in mind in terms of taking care of yourself but meeting your own needs like the maslow hierarchy of needs of what you physically need to give back to other people is different from always putting your every woman desire of yourself before others and the impact of creating such a self-obsessed narcissistic culture with the little things ended up changing the big things like refusing to hear feedback from people around you your family friends or significant other who are trying to help you because society says that's toxic or always going after what makes you feel good in the moment even if you know it's damaging to you in the long run like refusing to exercise or not eating healthy, embracing this body positive movement, which is inherently in and of itself not positive to your body and not taking care of yourself, or even feeding into addictive behaviors like cheating on your significant other or having a porn addiction or being addicted to drugs or alcohol or any other negative substance that is ultimately harming you in the long run, but in the moment is giving in to your selfish, sinful desires. You're obsessed with yourself. You're obsessed with what you want. So even when you know it's going to cause harm to yourself in the long run, and especially the people around you, you're always going to choose that. And this obsessive self-care narcissistic culture eventually evolved and gave way into what I like to call self-love culture, where a love of self overrode love of others, your friends, your family, your significant other, to the point that self-love became superior to sacrificial love. What do I mean by that? Do I mean you shouldn't love yourself and you shouldn't see yourself as a child of God made in the image of God? No, of course not. You absolutely are worthy of love, including from yourself, but you are not the God of your own life. You're not. You know who is the God of your life is God. And throughout the Bible, we as Christians especially are consistently called to not put ourselves first, to lay down our life for the people that we love and for our faith and for truth, to embrace sacrifice of self for the love of others. And even Christian culture in America today has embraced this self-love, you are enough culture so substantially that I think the image of what perfect love looks like, God's love for the church, which is ultimately mirrored in the love of a husband and wife in a marriage, has been so distorted and clouded with this narcissistic culture of the United States that we're starting to see it impact the macro scale of things in the United States with marriage rates and divorce rates in particular. We love ourselves so much 
that we've convinced ourselves we are always enough. You are enough just because of the way you are. You are enough because you're existing and living here today, which is very counter to what the Bible actually tells us. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible actually tells us and what we believe as Christians. And I think the best person who has highlighted this over and over and over again is Ali Beth Stuckey, who hosts Relatable, a podcast through the Blaze TV network. She's become such a great mentor and friend of mine. And reading her book on this very subject was so eye-opening because as a Christian, Growing up in a Christian community, going to Catholic high school, growing up in the Catholic church, I was always repeated this narrative that you are enough. But it's not true. It's fundamentally not true. If you were enough, God would have never needed to send his son to die for us, or for you specifically, because he would have done it all over again for just you. Your sins wouldn't have been so significant to lead to death instead of life. Jesus never would have had to lay his life down on the cross to save all of humanity, but he did. And that's because without Jesus Christ, we aren't enough. This self-love and self-obsessed and narcissistic culture telling us we are the end-all be-all, that we should be the God of our own life, that whatever we want to do on a whim, whatever our immediate desires are we should feed into, has led to the conclusion of us believing we are our own saviors, that we are purveyors of judgment when it comes to morality in society, that we know better than God who tells us to become sacrificial for another human being, especially our significant other, and that we should love ourselves first, when in reality, we should be loving God first and embracing this idea of sacrifice to another human being in our marriage and our, our dating relationships leading up to marriages, assuming you're dating with intention, and we'll jump into that in a minute, as a mirror of how God loves us, how Jesus loves the church, and therefore a husband and wife should love one another. So we have a self-love problem, and therefore we have a narcissism problem. And that may sound like a scary, clinical, psychological word, and it should, because it is a psychological diagnosis. I actually want to read you guys the exact definition of narcissism, because I think it's important to understand. Narcissism means the excessive interest in or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. Here's the psychology definition. Selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration as characterizing a personality type. Wow. So the exact concept of a self-obsessed narcissistic culture is needing affirmation, admiration, and affection from others but lacking the empathy to turn around and give that to another human being, lacking the sacrificial step in death to self for another human being. Research from Psychology Today has found that America is the number one country in the world when it comes to clinical narcissism. Number one. No one else even comes close. And of course, woke leftist elites argue that that's because of the culture of rugged individualism in a hyper-capitalist society. I don't think that's it one bit. I think we've given in to 
removing God so strategically from every aspect of society that we have become the God of our own life, that we have no accountability to a higher power, that we have no feeling of responsibility to our families, our communities. We just rely on the government for that. And because the nature of relationships and what love is supposed to look like in a healthy sense has been so distorted to the point that we can't recognize it in a supposedly Judeo-Christian society in the 2020s. We are the number one narcissistic country in the world, period. And one of the biggest traits of clinical narcissism is self-indulgence in giving into the desires of your flesh, your sinful nature, even at the expense of what is going to bring you ultimate joy and fulfillment, like your marriage or a meaningful, intentional dating relationship. And I think that looks like a lot of different things. It could be not communicating well enough with your significant other. That could be giving into a porn addiction. And we're going to be talking about porn in an episode soon, soon, soon to come here on Outdated. And I'm really excited about that because I think porn in and of itself is one of the biggest issues impacting the next generation and their view of love. But I digress. We'll come back to that at a later episode. Or even it could look like just giving into one of the easiest things that tempt relationships and marriages today, and that is cheating. An estimate from the Journal of Marriage and Divorce has concluded recently that mind-blowingly, 70% of married Americans cheat at least once in their marriage, and 74% of men and 68% of women admit that they would cheat in their marriage if it was guaranteed that they would never be caught for their actions. Seven in 10 married Americans have cheated at least once in their marriage. Why? Because we are obsessed with the carnal desires of our flesh, our sinful nature in the moment, and everything about our culture encourages you to give in to what you want in any specific moment in your life, inside of marriage, inside of a dating relationship, or inside any other aspect of your life. Our self-obsessed culture says you are the god of your own life, that there shouldn't be any consequences to negative behavior that harms other people, and that sacrificial love isn't worth pursuing. We've lost sight of what love is supposed to look like, especially as Christians in America, and we've forgotten that marriage in and of itself requires sacrificial love. I mentioned in the first episode of this podcast that marriage rates in America are the lowest rate they have ever been since we started recording marriage rates in 1867 or something like that, the middle of the 1800s, and divorce rates are at an all-time high with about half of marriages ending in divorce. We have forgotten through the lens of the church, through the lens of a society founded on Judeo-Christian principles, that marriage, which still remains an important cult cultural institution, in its very essence requires sacrificial love. And today, I want to break down how the Bible characterizes the concept of love. Because in the English language, we only have one word for love, which honestly, I've always kind of thought was a load of bullshit. Because in every other language, there's so many different ways to characterize what you love. If you love this cup of coffee, if you love traveling to a certain place, if you love your significant other versus your family member, if you love a book versus a human being, there are different ways to categorize that. And we've lost sight of that in the English language, because all we say is I love. 
I love pizza. I love my boyfriend. I love my wife. I love my brother. I love my dog. When in reality, those are all very different experiences. And I think returning to the root of what these four types of love actually look like and mean as they all work together as required components for meaningful relationships and marriages in particular is ultimately where we need to go as a society founded in with a foundation of Judeo-Christian principles in order to reinstate the value of what marriage looks like for the next generation. So let's break that down. The first type of love that we see in the Bible, which ironically, the word is never actually explicitly found in the Old Testament, but is very clearly demonstrated throughout, is called eros, which is romantic love that's a sensual or sexual love. You might recognize E-R-O as the beginning of the word erotic, so it's a type of erotic love. And interestingly, this word originates from Greek, which is one of the original translations of the Bible, uh, and it originated from the term eros as the mythological greek god of love sexual desire physical attraction and physical love whose name was eros for the roman gods the roman counterpart to that was cupid so the concept of affectionate sexual physical love came from the concept of mythological greek and roman gods so this looks like a very carnal physical attraction, a chemistry, if you will, for your significant other, and is very clearly throughout the Bible described as something that should reside inside of marriage. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse eight through nine says, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am, Paul is writing this, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So embracing this sexual, sensual, physical, chemistry-oriented love is something that should be residing inside of the institution of marriage. But inside the institution of marriage, eros, physical love, is absolutely something to be celebrated in every aspect of the word. Proverbs chapter 5 verses 18 and 19 say, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. And I mentioned that term eros is not explicitly found in the Old Testament necessarily, but is demonstrated throughout the Old Testament, especially in Song of Solomon, and is identified as a very key component to a healthy marital relationship throughout the Bible. That sexual anarchy and embracing sexual liberty to a certain extent with whoever you want, whenever you want, which we saw in extreme cases in the Bible where societies ended up crumbling when that happened en masse, was never something to strive for. But inside the covenant of marriage, even more than just a contract between a man and a woman, but a foundational experience walking toward and pursuing God even before the other person, and then the other person before the desires of self, eros is a key component to a successful marital relationship. The next type of love is called phileo, which ultimately just means friendship. And I think that's probably the most common type of love that we see illustrated throughout the Bible. Um, it's portrayed often as the joyful aspect of love, like the joy of friendship and kinship with another human being. It's a powerful, emotional bond. And it's what we see with our siblings. It's what we see with our friends. We do see that in marital relationships as well. People often talk about being married to your best friend. And I think that's ultimately such a beautiful 
illustration of what phileo love looks like within a marital relationship. And C.S. Lewis, uh, who is one of my favorite theologians of all time, an incredible author, talks about this a lot and has actually written about this over and over and over again, all four types of love, actually, so not just what we're talking about at this point in time. Um, he wrote about this in The Four Loves, which he published in 1960. He thinks that friendship and phileo love has the closest resemblance to heaven and what love in the afterlife and in eternity with God will look like where we will ultimately be intertwined with our friendships always, where we experience eternal love and eternal happiness and eternal joy. So phileo is something you can experience outside of a marital covenant, outside of a marriage relationship with your friends and other important people in your life, but ultimately is also a key component to what a successful marriage should look like. Sorry, you hear my dog barking in the background. Recording podcasts from home, am I right? <laughs> Third type of love. Everybody pronounces it differently, so forgive me if I'm not pronouncing it the same way you are. It's called storge love or storge love, S-T-O-R-G-E, which ultimately means familial love or affectionate love. It's what's expected and familiar. It's what you often see as like an instinctual love between a mother and her children, between um, parental relationships with animals, uh, even just what you experience in the day-to-day -day mundane experience of life. You see Storge love depicted in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, which commands believers to be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. And so that little affection that you experience in the day-to-day um, is really what this type of love looks like. C.S. Lewis says, affection almost slinks or seeps through our lives. It lives with humble, undressed, private things. Soft slippers, old clothes, old jokes, the thump of a sleepy dog's tail on the kitchen floor, the sound of a sewing machine, etc. That day-to-day -day experience of the little things in life, the extinctual things that you happen to love, and the small amounts of affection that we can show toward another is storge love and that's ultimately also experienced outside of marital relationships but is a key component to what a healthy marital relationship should look like as well and then we get to the highest form of love found in the bible and in my opinion this is the type of love that is most significantly missing from society today and that is agape love you may have heard the word agape before you may not have this is rarely talked about to the extent that it should be, especially within our church congregations. And honestly, I think is the biggest missing link to why our relationships aren't working out and aren't being successful in 2020s, especially within marriages. Agape love is essentially unconditional love. It's the exact divine love that comes from God. As I mentioned, it's the highest form of love that is found in the Bible. It is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and this is the key point here, and pure. It's scary. It doesn't always equal a return on investment. It doesn't mean you are going to feel appreciated always to the same level that you are giving it out to somebody else. If we go back to that definition psychologically of narcissism, which says a sense of entitlement and a need for admiration, you're not going to get that. It has nothing to do with entitlement or someone giving you admiration. It has everything to do with the opposite of that, with you giving admiration to others with no sense of entitlement or expectation to receive that in return whatsoever. In The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis writes, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. 
love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. It's a scary thought. We've all experienced it at one point or another, but that's what it requires to embrace true, sacrificial, unconditional love. I've thought a lot about this recently when it comes to sacrificing your own needs and your own desires and your own wants at the feet of someone else, particularly your significant other. And I think, yes, we need to be walking in this direction of sacrificial love because that's where we've really strayed in society from having meaningful, intentional relationships. But I don't want you to confuse this episode with me telling you to just roll over when someone doesn't love you and appreciate you and doesn't invest in what your relationship is supposed to look like. When I was coming into my adulthood in college and my young professional years, having studied this concept of agape love, of unconditional sacrificial love, which I had been exposed to through Bible studies and reading countless books on the subject, I often thought as a young Christian that that meant unconditional forgiveness, that it meant rolling over and not giving into the hurt when something bad happened in a relationship, that that meant always accepting someone back into your life in a very intimate way, even when trust in a relationship had been broken, even when things had happened that were the opposite of sacrificial love from the other human being, because I was being unconditionally sacrificial to that person. And I think honestly, in my own life, I missed the point of agape love. Agape love and unconditional love is not about letting somebody walk all over you or loving the other person more than they love you. I don't think that is a healthy way necessarily to approach what an intentional dating relationship walking toward marriage and ultimately ideally ending in marriage is supposed to look like. In my own past and in my own experiences, that dealt with people cheating on me and me continuing to let that happen and continuing to date said person. That happened with somebody lying to me over and over again about decisions they were making with addiction and me not listening in my heart that I needed to move on, but instead just letting said behavior continue because I was being sacrificial to that person. I was experiencing unconditional love for that person when the point actually was to speak truth in love into that person's life that they shouldn't be engaging in that behavior and then walking away from that relationship because I knew that it wasn't leading toward marriage. So I don't want you to listen to this episode or watch this video today and think that agape love means just letting somebody else do whatever they want to you all the time with zero consequences for their behavior because that's not what love actually is. Love, from a biblical sense, is leading someone toward Jesus Christ above all else, that you want someone to experience the love of God even before they invest in you that you're willing to speak truth into their life from a biblical perspective when you know that they're doing things that ultimately are leading them away from a positive relationship with God. But that being said, agape love does require somewhat a death to self. It does require you to put your pride aside in arguments and realize that there's a bigger purpose to your relationship. It does require that often you do maybe what would make your significant other happy for an evening instead of you going and watching the same television show for the 8,000th 8, time. It does require that you sacrifice your needs in the moment or your desires in the moment for someone else, for your significant other, for your child, for your family. 
and you try as best as you can as a human being and ultimately we are not god we're not perfect so we can't really ever in my opinion achieve true agape unconditional love but you try your very best to mirror the love that jesus has for the church for your significant other for the people around you in your life that is perhaps the most countercultural thing that I possibly could suggest to you. That your needs and your desires and what you want in the moment are not as important as sacrificing those things for another human being. But that agape love, that unconditional love is the missing link in society today for healthy relationships, for dating relationships with intention, walking toward marriage, for marriage to actually end up being successful and not ending in divorce 50% of the time, for silly, carnal, sinful needs and desires like cheating to decrease from 70% of married Americans to not happening at all because you realize putting aside your selfish desires for the love of another human being is far more important. That the long-term impact on your marriage and your relationship and your family and your community and at the macro level, the world from the institution of marriage is more important than your momentary desire for affection and for entitlement. Now, do I think we're gonna get there right away? No. But I am feeling very hopeful, particularly with Generation Z, as we start to see a resurgence of a desire for marriage within my generation. I think for a long time in American culture, we strayed away from even the idea of marriage, which as I mentioned, requires all four types of love, eros, phileo, storge, and agape love to be successful because we wanted to pursue our careers first, because we wanted to be as footloose and fancy free and be a kid for as long as humanly possible and not grow up and not deal with the consequences of needing to be investing in someone else all the time instead of just ourselves. We didn't want the negative connotation of getting married too young or having kids. We just wanted to be the God of our own life. I think all of this centers down to you wanting to be the God of your own life with zero consequences for your behavior, with zero sacrifice for another human being. But I think Gen Z is looking around at the state of affairs in our country and realizing that that's a pretty shallow lifestyle to live. It may feel good for a very short period of time, but if you continue to live your life in that manner, you're gonna wake up someday and you're gonna ask yourself, how did I get here? And there has to be more to life. What is the meaning and the point of all of this? As Christians, we believe the point of life is two things, love God and love others. Does that mean love yourself? To a degree, yeah. But you have to be willing, if you want to experience true, unconditional, sacrificial love from another human being, which let's be honest, who doesn't want to experience that? You have to be willing to put yourself aside, not all the time, but enough to fully invest in what your relationship is going to look like. We have to get rid of what makes you feel good in the moment with this narcissistic, self-obsessed, self-care culture that always puts your needs and desires before others. We have to get over feeling good in the moment at the detriment of ourselves and others. We have to get over not eating healthy and not exercising, feeding into addictive behaviors, cheating, pornography. We have to get rid of that if we're really serious about loving one another with intention in the future. 
And all of that stems from these four types of love that we see in the Bible. Again, I want to say them for you so that you don't forget. Eros, phileo, storge, and agape love. We could literally spend like five hours talking about this subject. And so I think we'll definitely come back and maybe do a deep dive into what each of these types of love actually looks like um, lived out in the Bible and in real world examples, because I think that could be really helpful for you guys. But the general takeaway from today is that I want you to remember we have to embrace death to self, death to our desires, death to our sinful carnal nature of our desires of flesh in the moment and embrace a spiritual sacrificial love in our relationships if we really truly want to be happy that has to happen from both parties in a healthy successful relationship so don't be the only one giving into that type of culture and giving yourself over for the other human being in your relationship but be willing to do something countercultural. Be willing to push back against this narrative that it's you all the time, that you are the God of your own life because you're not. And my heart is so broken seeing the devastating impact of this lie in my own life, in the lives of other people around me, my coworkers, my friends, my family members. It's not setting us up for happiness and joy in the long run. But you know what might? mimicking the love of God. And I hope that today was a good instruction manual for what that might look like in your own relationships. If you've never heard about these four types of love, please go research them. Read C.S. Lewis. Uh, again, that book that we talked about and referenced today was published in 1960. It's called The Four Loves. And he also did a radio series on this with BBC uh, a few years prior to the book's release in the 1950s. So that's a really interesting thing to go back and listen to embrace something different. We talk about that all the time here on Outdated, uh, but it's time for us to let go of the lies of modern culture and embrace the truth of how God designed us to be. That's all for episode four of Outdated. Can't believe we're already a month into this, by the way. If you liked this message of embracing true, sacrificial, unconditional love instead of the sinful desires of our hearts in the moment and the lies of self-love culture, don't forget to like this episode and save it to watch later so that you can go back and learn even more. Send this episode to somebody that you care about who may be stuck in this cycle of a self-obsessed culture and is desiring something more out of their dating relationships or their marriage. Uh, and please subscribe to this channel so that you never miss a video or follow this page to never miss any of my content without dated or anything else that I'm working on. Thank you guys so much as always. And I will see you next week with our first guest of Outdated. Don't want to give too much away, but it's going to be awesome.